Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 73 of the Brown County Hour. This is Carrie Ray. And Dave Seastrom, along with the rest of the crew. This is a special fun drive show that we put together in support of WFHB. This month's musical guest is Tim Grimm. We'll listen to two conversations with him, and we'll hear some musical selections from three different CDs. Jeff Tryon shares his essay called Country Church. Jem Eagleman gives us some information about the Eastern Bluebird, and our own Dave Seastrom talks about WFHB and why we should all pledge to support the station. In our first segment, we'll listen to part one of our interview with Tim Grimm, and we'll hear his tune, These Rolling Hills. It is our pleasure to have Tim Grimm in the studio with us tonight. Tim, it's so great to see you. You know, you've done just about everything there is to do musically, theatrically. You're about to receive this major award. The album is nominated for Album oh, of the Year. Oh, oh, oh. It was the most played album ah. in folk radio, but this is a separate thing. This is mm. International Music Awards. So now you so find out. Now we now we're up against like Rhiannon Giddens and, mm-hmm. right. and the Decemberists, sure. and we'll see sure. what. It's not like the Brown County Awards, no, which, which we pulled off several years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> Brown County Entertainer of the Year will be will be mentioned. One of the first things out of my lips next to winning the Brown County Entertainer of the Year award. This yeah. is it. This is it. That's pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. And so highly deserved. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely, Tim. You've got Brown County connections. We're not purists here, but it's always nice mm-hmm. to have at least some connection to Brown County to be on the Brown County Hour. First place I lived in Brown County, uh, I was uh, I moved here when I was three. Thank moved you. into a cabin at the top of Kelly Hill, right across from the, the North State Park entrance. And they took that cabin down, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, I remember that. Um, moved in there. Had, we had no running water in the house. Had a pump out in the front and an outhouse in the back. They frown on that now. They do <laughs> now, yeah. yeah. But those are my first memories. We're up there. And then we moved down the hill a little bit to... Uh, Another cabin owned by a Mr. Emery. It was on the uh, mailbox. Dad always called it Rucus Juice Knob. Now, some people call it Ruckus, you know, but he always called it Rucus Juice Knob, and that's what the place was called. So as a kid, I remember growing up there. Well, and, uh, yeah, ruckus, ruckus. I mean, the juice might be just... We know the juice part. Yeah, yeah. It's right, yeah. yeah. So what brought your family to Brown County? 
initially, other than just wanting to be here? Well, Dad was Dad was always a Hoosier from the North, and he uh, Mom and Dad met at Hanover College mm. and got married there, and then um, Dad went to grad school at IU, and his uh, first job teaching was in Columbus at Columbus High School. So, uh, and Mom got a job as the art teacher at Brown County High School. They split the difference, kind of, and, and Dad was willing to do the drive. We lived out here while they were doing that. At what point did you end up moving outside of Columbus? Third grade. I moved, I moved to, well, I moved to Columbus in third grade. Okay. So, now, yeah. isn't there a family farm involved in all of this? There, the family farm is up in northern Indiana, but I grew up, you know, from third grade on in Columbus proper. And then when I started high school, Dad built a house. I was about 14, about a mile from the Brown County line over in Bartholomew. And so that's where I spent the last four years that I lived with them. And that house is, is still there, a beautiful house he built. Personally, mm-hmm. physically built. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown County Roots, three years old to third grade, and then still staying fairly close Very by close, here. Yeah. yeah. So how did music and making music the way you do come about? Obviously, you're in the folk tradition. You're a storyteller, a poet. It's very different than deciding to go make rock and roll music. So a, a little bit about how that came about for you and any influence from around here maybe that played into that. Well, I'm sure there's a ton of influence from around here now, I, but I can't exactly point my finger sure. at, at this and that. It's uh, what I do is, in a sense, homemade music. So I'm basically self-taught, both in terms of playing and, and writing. I attribute the fact that I grew up here in Brown County and then always stayed, as you said, close by. I spent all my summers as a kid back at Palo Wapik, too. So even when I was in Columbus, I was spending you know chunks of time over here. And then chose to move back here, move back to this, this neck of the woods. It has a huge influence on how I write. It's about uh, you know place, and it's about the people in the place. So, um, so musically, who were you listening to, like in high school and your early formative music years? I was listening to what I thought everybody else was listening to, which isn't true. You know, I was listening to singer songwriters back then. I was listening to uh, when I started high school, uh, since Dad was still teaching, and I would ride in. I could ride the bus, or I could ride in with Dad. You know, we're going the same place. And he would listen to uh, Country Lovin' Radio in Columbus. And uh, so I would, you know, this was mid-late 70s, and it's all the, the really sappy Country Lovin', you know, the really the blind man and the bleachers kind of stuff, sure. you know. And it's like these these heart heartbreaking story songs. And then I listened to a lot of, you know, a lot of old bluegrass stuff. And, and you know, Bob Dylan was huge. And when the big folk scare came in the early 80s again. I really peaked up, you know, because I wasn't really writing mm-hmm. until that all happened. I'd say influences really across the board. My parents were, were really young when I was born. Mom had just turned 20, so they had a great record collection. They had everything, you know, I, here's, here's Dave Van Ronk, here's the Beatles, here's the Rolling Stones. So, yeah, good days, good days, good yeah. times. That and Country Lovin', of course. Yeah, and Country right. Lovin', yeah. <laughs> country Lovin', yeah. I come from these rolling hills And my feet know the path I walked when I was a kid I come from these rolling hills I remember bells of blue Ringing in this land In voices old and new I remember bells of blue I have moved through these golden fields 
With my lover by my side And a dog at our heels I have moved through these golden fields Winter will be hard this year And I know the seasons change But this one I've come to fear Songs of joy turned to silence And hope turned into fear Winter will be hard this year And darkness rides a hungry beast It rides into the wind And never suffers peace It speaks a separate truth For anyone who seeks Darkness rides a hungry beast And I feel like a stranger in this time People living lives Across a great divide Half of them are laughing While the other half are crying I feel like a stranger in this time twist of grace I can see a smile on your face and I come from these rolling hills and they hold a quiet heart I know the way they feel I come from these rolling hills segment two, we'll listen to Jeff Tryon's essay on country churches, and Jim Eagleman will share some information about the Eastern Bluebird. This is My Brown County with Jeff Tryon. The more I thought about what really makes Brown County Brown County, the more I began to realize how we each have our own particular Brown County. In a way, Brown County is what we each bring to it, what we find there for our own, what we each make of it. No one else sees it probably in the same exact way that I do. That's what makes it my Brown County. When I was growing up in Brown County, my family attended a little country church by the side of the road, surrounded by farm fields, pasture, and woods. It was a little white wooden church, a real antique built in 1845 with a barn-style gambrel roof and a steeple with a bell that rang every Sunday morning and stained glass windows that had little brass plates on them denoting which family had donated them to the church. 
and the floors were wooden and creaky, polished like the pews by years of worship and careful cleaning. The entire sanctuary was burnished by the prayers of the saints, by many decades of worship, singing, preaching, and prayer, shared triumphs and tragedies, a community repository of memories and traditions. When it was founded in the late 19th century, people arrived by horse and buggy or on foot, and baptisms regularly took place down at some local creek bank. It had twin pot-bellied stoves for heat in winter and little handheld cardboard fans to cool in the summer. It was nurtured and grew through all the vagaries and triumphs of the 20th century when our parents endured the difficulty of hard times, economic depression, the adversity of foreign wars, and enjoyed the triumph of the post-war boom which lifted the nation into a new era of prosperity. In my time, they dealt with the difficulties of yet another foreign war, of the growing gulf between generations and rapid changes in social outlook. These churches now struggle into a 21st century fraught with abrupt change and irrevocable and unexpected developments. Stolid institutions like a little country church find change difficult to navigate at best, and the amount and rate of change have been steadily increasing at an alarming pace. These little country churches used to be one of the centers of community activity, where people played as children, met and married their sweethearts, worshipped side by side, week in and week out, season by season, where they were eventually funeralized and interred. More than just a geographic gathering of folks, the church represented what theologians call the beloved community, that invisible church comprised of all those Christians who really are trying to live by the teachings of Jesus, trying to live according to what the Apostle Paul called the law of love, speaking and acting in love, treating other people as you would want to be treated, clinging to a foundational faith in God through all the struggles and accomplishments of everyday life. There in these simple buildings, a great social experiment was and is underway to see whether people can put aside their petty differences and annoying issues, put others' interests above their own, and live in harmony and unity of spiritual practice. By the way, harmony and unity are the names of two of these pioneer Brown County churches, one in the northern part of the county between Bean Blossom and Spearsville, the other in the southern part, down near Bellsville. When I was younger, they were sister churches, both belonging to the same association, the Mount Zion Association of the same denomination, American Baptist Churches. Just those names give you a glimpse into the thinking of the folks who founded them over 150 years ago. They valued harmony. They valued unity. One of the great things about little country churches is the congregational singing. Although the hymnal typically contains over 400 songs, most congregations have a scant few, 20 or 30, that they love to sing over and over again. Singing is good for you. Just standing up with 30 or 40 other people and lifting your voice in song, whether or not you're technically a good singer, is not only good for you physically, as can be proved scientifically, it is good for the soul. Though ostensibly organized for the purposes of eternity, the little country church was one customary setting of everyday life as it was lived. People grew up in the same church together, sharing all the high and low points of everyday life. Weddings, funerals, 
the birth of a child, the death of a parent. Aside from their personal relationships elsewhere, they had a formal Sunday morning relationship with their fellow congregants, and in many cases had family and social connections reaching back through several generations. In my father's day, when one of the saints passed on to their eternal reward, the funeral was held at the church. Anymore, funerals usually happen in some commercial establishment in town. Out behind a little country church, there's usually a cemetery, rows of headstones of varying sizes and shapes, and a lot of history of that little church and the community around it is in that graveyard, if you know how to read it. Sometimes a whole family tree is laid out neatly side by side. In my own case, my family antecedents lay spread out in a number of different small cemeteries in and around Spearsville, ranging on up into southern Johnson County. Geopolitical boundaries have little meaning to genealogy. In an era of megachurches and supreme mobility, it is surprising how often people from urban or suburban communities leave their own geographical location to seek out the Sunday morning experience of a traditional little country church. The bluebird carries the sky on its back, said Henry David Thoreau. He also said a man's interest in a single bluebird is worth more than a complete but dry list of the fauna and flora of a town. I don't know if I can agree with that assessment. It seems to me to be just as important to know the flora and fauna of a town. But I can see why Henry David was so enamored with the eastern bluebird. These are beautiful birds. Have you seen these beauties flit about now that nesting season for them has started? The male is the most visible and is likely to catch your attention with that beautiful sky blue color. A brown breast and bright color differentiates him from the more subtle colored female. She has the lighter brown and less intense blue color. Both are the size of a well-fed sparrow, but with a plumper chest and slightly larger frame. Bluebirds belong to the thrush family, same as the American robin. You might wonder why these two birds are in the same family, the robin and the bluebird. It is the young of both species that have similar speckled breasts that become a solid color as they mature. This and the fact that they both feed on insects and worms have similar genetics and are native to most of the eastern U.S. that has allowed ornithologists to group them together. In the same family are the wood and hermit thrush, the gray-cheeked thrush, and the viri. Nesting boxes installed in likely areas have helped the eastern bluebird recover from devastating low numbers in the late 60s. Severe winter storms and the clearing of brushy farm fence rows, that old line of habitat destruction, has been responsible for their decline, but now they are back and common to us in the Midwest and I suspect to many Brown Countians. Males begin searching for potential nest sites, including your box along your road, as early as late February. The Bluebird Club here in Brown County has done well to place nesting boxes along many Brown County roads, and a slow drive along any of them may reward you with sightings. Better yet, a box or boxes on your own property, placed well away from the wood line, and along a fence row or road, open garden or field, is well worth the effort. These birds are a joy to watch. At a bluebird box building workshop I conducted for many years at the state park, I showed different styles of box designs. Most were similar in that they had a slanted roof, some kind of movable side for cleaning, 
and an exact one and a half inch diameter entrance hole. The design, color, and material wasn't as important as the placement. So we always emphasize that it, no activity was seen for two to three seasons, moved the box to another location. Cleaning wasn't all that necessary either, as I saw bluebirds using the nest-filled box in winter, with the debris of weeds and twigs acting as insulation on cold nights. So yes, eastern bluebirds do overwinter in Brown County, and we always recorded them on the park's annual Christmas bird counts. Some time ago, a friend brought me an old box she had monitored on her property for years, and she said, I think you should see this. I was puzzled at first, then she opened the lid and took out the grass and twig-filled contents to reveal a bright blue male that had died in the box. No smell gave it away. It had become completely mummified and was several layers lower in the box than the recently added nesting material on top of it. We both commented, they didn't even with this distraction, other bluebirds had nested in the same box as proof of eggshell fragments and appeared determined to use it even though another bluebird, a related family member perhaps, had died. You don't see that every day and proves that they're having great success with nesting. Watch for the eastern bluebird this spring as you travel Brown County roads. Better yet, as I said, put up a box on your property and watch the show daily. It's a great bird to have around and close to your home. Jim Eagleman for Nature Ramblings, WFHB-FM, the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening. In segment three, we'll listen to part two of our interview with Tim Grimm, and we'll hear his song, Browning Mountain. I just have to ask you about your TV and movie career. I mean, not everyone that comes into our studio has had uh, the broad range of experience that you've had. Uh, how about a little TV and uh, movie bio? Well, yeah, the, the short story of it is, and, and it's, uh, I went to Earlham College here in Indiana, right. and uh, I majored in political science. Um, a sure path to a uh, performance career. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, Mike Pence. Yeah, exactly. Who was a class ahead of me there in school. Huh. On the speech team with me in school. Mm -hmm. Nice. Anyway, that's another story, isn't it? Uh, uh, Earlham College and I majored in political science, minored in theater, then went to uh, University of Michigan and got a graduate degree in theater, in, in acting. So, uh, and from there I did regional theater, Cleveland Playhouse, and uh, um, for a year went to New York, wanted to live in New York about six months. That was about enough for me, living in New York mm -hmm. City. And uh, went back to Chicago and began to do theater in Chicago and got a pretty good agent and started to audition for uh, TV stuff that was happening or films that were coming through town. So was able to land a couple nice things like Backdraft, had a nice little scene in Backdraft and a couple movies that came in. Finally got a break by, uh, remember the movie Steel Magnolias? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So they decided they wanted to make a television series out of Steel Magnolias. So um, I auditioned on tape in Chicago for the producers and directors and the writer in L.A. And they liked it. They flew me out, met with them, and I got the job. It was an amazing cast. It was like Elaine Stritch and Polly Bergen. And it was just like all these, you know, Academy Award winners, mm. Tony winners and all that, Cindy Williams. 
And I was like this unknown, who's the guy? Who's the guy? You know, <laughs> right, they right. apparently couldn't find him in L.A. and all of L.A. So they had to go hunting elsewhere. So that opened the door to, to get me in L.A. And I went out then and got an agent. And within a year, I had a TV series on NBC called Reasonable Doubts with Mark Harmon and Marley Matlin and did that for two years and hung around about three or four more years doing movies of the week and guest spots and about 10 films. Big films, but nothing, you know, I'm, right. my job was never to be, uh, I didn't ever want to be a star, and I didn't ever want to uh, be anybody other than myself in that world, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I wanted to do the work. I wanted to tell stories. I wanted to be, do the work and go home, so to speak. So mm-hmm. eventually, I really did go home, go you home, know? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that experience in theater and, and taking on those roles and, and wearing those personas and making them believable, you know, how do you feel like that experience informs you as a writer and performer now? Yeah, well, in, in a couple of ways. I mean, as, as a writer, you know, I'm basically distilling a story as a songwriter. We distill a story into three to five minutes. And it's a unique form in that way. It's not a short story. It's not a novel. It's not a screenplay. Uh, it's not a play. It's it's a song, and it's it's its own unique form. You know, I've done some songwriting and performance workshops in various places around the country. And one of the things I tell people is that as a performer, you wear many hats. To do it well, you got to wear many hats. You got to you got to be your own director. You got to be your own set designer. You got to decide what you're going to wear. You know, there are all these factors. You know that you put together to do a show and 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 I'm not saying you got to be hyper conscious about it and you got to be hyper professional about it but you got to be aware of it in the back of your mind all of these different kinds of things the the theater has certainly helped me in terms of ways of trying to relax before you go on you know it doesn't always work <laughs> right. but you know right. you try to do what you can to uh, to get out there and make that audience you and that audience if they're your scene partner you know it's not, I'm just, not me up there and you guys out there. No. If it's really working, it's, I'm, I'm singing to everybody out there. And you guys are giving me back as much as I'm giving you. And sometimes as a performer, we need that. Yeah, it's a shared experience. Huge. The energy is moving both directions and in every direction. And Well, this is excellent, Tim. Is there some way to follow your career? So I'm pretty make... low-tech, but yes. Yes, timgrim.com is pretty easy. And, and likewise, a Facebook page? There's a Facebook page. It's... Tim Grimm. Tim Grimm. Tim Grimm. Tim right. Grimm. Uh, I found you that way, so yeah, it works. Yeah. I, I can vouch for that. Um, one other question. Obviously, we're in Brown County here, and uh, you perform all over the world. I know you're back uh, across the pond again this summer. What are folks' best bet to keep an eye out for when you'll be around and they can actually catch this live performance that you put together? And in April, I guess, is the next thing we're going to do. Uh, Bring in a buddy of mine, uh, John Brooks, a songwriter from Canada. Just a great, really deep, gritty songwriter. And we're going to do a two-week tour of the Midwest. And we're going to play Bloomington Songwriters one night, you know, in the round, he and I sure. and my son Jackson, and doing a house concert in Columbus, and then uh, the Carriage House in Indianapolis. So three nights in a row, look for us in April. Great. Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming in, Tim. Hey, thank really, you guys. Really made, made me it. feel right at home. <laughs> Took me right back. Welcome back. <laughs> thank you. I took you up Browning Mountain. You did not know 
you would see The sky hung blue On Browning Mountain There stood the forest Through the trees We walked the path Some old mule train It took us back Through fallen leaves It was on our way Then we passed the ghost of you and me. They were dressed in plain and simple clothing. They were walking down as we walked up with their arms entwined. They could not see us, their eyes were filled. Timeless love I took your hand In joy and sorrow We watched them fade So peacefully We were halfway there Up brown and mountain Touched by grace Nearly free
On the sun-warm stone We lay together Sometimes the truth Is a mystery we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. In the next segment, Dave Seastrom shares his reasons to support WFHB. And we listen to Tim Grimm's song, The Lake. This month, the Brown County Hour is celebrating 25 years of WFHB, and it's our honor to participate in the Spring Fun Drive. Actually, every time this and every show is on the air, it's a celebration of the vision and fortitude of our founding members who beat unbelievable odds to create this low-frequency FM station that so many of us enjoy. We exist because you and many others share your hard-earned dollars to keep us on the air. This is what community radio is all about. Our mission is to serve the community— And there are lots of ways we do this. We share some of the best music available that's chosen by our volunteer DJs. We have award-winning local news and many specialty shows that celebrate the diversity of the community we serve. The Brown County Hour is an excellent example of this. We showcase local musical talent and share conversations with people who are culturally significant, movers and shakers in Brown County, and regular folks who have a story to tell. Our little slice of the WFHB pie focuses on telling tales from our neck of the woods, and we hope this information adds to your understanding of who we are and what we're about. Right after they went on the air 25 years ago, some friends told me about WFHB. In those days, the station depended on word of mouth to entice new listeners to tune in, and I was one of them. Long before the station went on the air, I'd given up on commercial radio to avoid the endless repetition and pre-selected offerings that didn't match the diversity of my musical taste. The first time I tuned in, I realized that something different was going on. I listened to the music from all genres, songs that lasted longer than three minutes, and heard the voices of people from my community as they introduced them. I was instantly hooked, and I've been a listener ever since. The station was broadcast from Radio Ridge, and in the early days, it was a seat-of-the-pants operation. In some ways, it still is. But over the years, we've grown and matured, and now a new generation has stepped up to the plate. The diversity of our programming has continued to increase, and we do our best to make it better with each passing year. 
In certain ways, WFHB is a living entity. It's as if it's a collective life form that depends on each of its many parts in order to function. The DJs and the newscasters, the desk jockeys and the interns, and the writers and the speakers all play their role to produce what you hear on WFHB. But the most important part of the equation is you, the listener. Your interest and financial support are what keep this station on the air. Simply put, without the listening audience, we would not exist. As it stands right now, the funds for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting have been cut from the proposed budget. Like many small stations, a vital part of our financing comes from these funds. We don't know how this will turn out because the process is long and convoluted, but the future of these funds is uncertain. So now, more than ever, this makes your financial support critical. We appreciate any help we can get, but we encourage you to become a sustaining member. Your monthly contribution of any size helps us keep our bills paid in between the fund drives and gives us a guaranteed income that allows us to make plans for the future. We want WFHB not only to survive, we want it to thrive. And the only way we can do this is with your help. Twice a year, we come to you and ask for this help. If you are listening to my voice during the fun drive, we know you're a fan of the station. Please consider what you love about WFHB and help us keep the quality programming you have grown to appreciate on the air. Thank you for your help. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time. Walk the last black dog across the field We saw the dirt, they moved beside the hill Our boys were young when we first came here The sands of time, they don't stand still Had a list of dreams as long as my heart some are lost, forever gone Some just waiting for the light of dawn Some were beaten back by the storms One, two, three Little water, little rain It took the trees down, there's so much change Yes, we pray, and then we wait for the water to fill this lake. It was a gift in a time of hard need. He was big, and he was sometimes mean and solitary. Pine tree, he was devoted to you and me. He held his head as he lay on the cold 
concrete We had no choice, I have to leave Grateful it was you, but not me As they went to sleep on that cold I'd be out on the road We first came here all those years ago Hands on the wheel, I'm thinking of home And all the little things I couldn't keep from going wrong And it's a life, who's to say We could have done things any other way We'd always dream We'd have a lake There's always some kind of price to pay Thanks for listening to the Brown County Hours Fun Drive Show. As a bonus for our listeners, we have some favorites from the archive to end the show. We present you with Chris Curtin and his poem, The Dogs of Poetry. Carrie Ray has For a Song All About Walls. Carol Marks offers a poem about trains. And we end the show with Tim Grimm's song, Finding Home. This is Chris Curtin with a poem called The Dogs of Poetry. He sat there in a cold sweat, afraid to look at them, terrified the panic in his eyes would betray him, afraid to speak lest they detect the fear in his quavering voice, afraid to move as they could not miss his trembling hands, his quivering limbs. The highly trained dogs continued to circle the room, stopping to sniff here and there. What would he do when the dogs came to him? His mind frantically searched for how it had come to this. At first, he began using a few trite expressions, a musty cliché now and then. 
He acquired tolerance for these and soon couldn't get through a day without them. In a vain attempt to make his writing more provocative and captivating, he resorted to using the imported stuff, exotic Asian phrases, intriguing Middle Eastern images, and hot, sensual Latin American rhythms that brought the mind and body alive. Finally, he tried growing his own, but there were quality issues. And what if he was caught with the grow lights and all the accompanying paraphernalia? It was rumored there was a new substance that would assure you tested negative on a urine test for bad poetry, but only the best writers at the height of their craft could afford these. The dogs and their handlers were moving closer now. Would they take him in and force him to submit to a polygraph? Delirious now, he imagined the questions they might ask. Have you ever written subversive poetry? Have you ever offered up outworn derivative ideas as your own? Are you now or have you ever been involved in any rhyming schemes? They were coming directly at him now. He broke for the door with the dogs and police close behind. Though he momentarily escaped, the police later obtained the search warrant, broke into his home, and found his lifeless body on the floor in a disordered mess, lying amidst threadbare bromides, hackneyed phrases, and overworked platitudes. I'm Carrie Ray, coming to you from an undisclosed location in South Florida. In this installment of Forest Song, however, I'd like to share with you an experience I had recently while traveling the country for the sake of songs, also known as being on tour. It was a driving day, and I was making my way from Nashville, Tennessee to Opelika, Alabama, and I had all day for a drive that wouldn't quite take all day. A couple of weeks before leaving, I was quite moved reading a BBC article about a man in Florence, Alabama, who had spent 35 years hand-stacking a rock wall in honor of one of his ancestors. So I took the long way along the Natchez Trace, another treat, to see this spectacle for myself. I'll share a link to the BBC article so you can read all of the detail, but I'll fill you in on the highlights. Tilane was a native of the Uchi tribe of Native Americans who lived along Alabama's Tennessee River, which they called Nunase, or Singing River. She and her sister were rounded up as part of Andrew Jackson's Indian Removal Act and forced to walk 600 miles to Oklahoma. She listened to all of the rivers along the way, but none sang to her the same way as the Nunase. So she waited out the winter and left as soon as spring would allow. The Indian records in Oklahoma list her as deceased because she simply disappeared. What followed was a winding journey back to her home that took five years to make. When she returned, she fell in love with a white man and settled near the Alabama-Tennessee line, where she practiced native medicine for the rest of her days. Tilane was the great-great-grandmother of a man named Tom Hendricks. He learned of her story from his grandmother, and while he had always wanted to do something to honor her memory, he didn't know where to begin. When Tom was in his early 50s, a Yuchi elder, Miss Minnie Long, came to visit him 
and suggested that he honor her with stones, as is the tradition of her people, saying, We shall all pass this earth. Only the stones will remain. She also suggested that he build two unmortared, hand-stacked walls, one for each of her journeys. And so he did, over 35 years and eight and a half million pounds of stone. He told an interviewer, I've wore out three trucks, 22 wheelbarrows, 2,700 pairs of gloves, three dogs, and one 87-year-old man. Over the years, visitors have come from all 50 states and over 130 countries and island nations to pay their respects, and many to bring the gift of a special stone from their homeland to add to the wall. So that's her story, and his, Tilane and Tom. Now for mine. The wall is at Tom's house, so there's no welcome center, maps, or brochure. There's also no admission fee or parking lot. I attempted to thread the needle by pulling the carry van into the narrow drive between, you guessed it, two rock walls, but was directed by a soft-spoken gentleman sitting in a folding chair in the drive to park along the red gravel road across from the house. There was only one other car parked. <laughs> Disney it's not. I grabbed my camera, threw it in my waxed canvas shell bag, and walked across the road where I met Trace for the second time. Trace is Tom's son, and he explained that to my left was a shorter, fairly straight path that represents the walk to Oklahoma along the Trail of Tears. And to my right is a much longer, winding path that represents the journey back home. Another feature that separates the two is that the winding path also includes inlets and alcoves with markers or benches that represent a person or group of people who helped Tilane along the way. So I started walking. First the short, straight path, then the long, winding one. I never expected a simple walk to impact me as profoundly as it did. The first thing that occurred to me was that I could feel the love and see the care brought to the laying of every stone. Then, as I walked back through the winding path, I thought about my own life path and those of many of my Brown County friends. How for a time I tried to walk the prescribed path laid out before me. Straight, narrow, linear, obvious, <laughs> approved. And now I walk the winding path back to myself. Winding, crooked, long, sometimes arduous, fraught with fears and trials. But that's not the whole story. Along the way, I run into kindred spirits, angels, beauty, surprises, love, and laughter, and the glorious inability to see too far ahead for the curves. On the winding path, I came across a woman taking pictures. She's the one who took the photo of me I will include in this post. She is Tom's daughter-in-law, as we spoke, she said, you've come here at a special time. Tom died a week ago today, and we laid him to rest up the road yesterday. That's why it was Trace, his son, and not Tom, greeting folks at the wall. So I made a little plate of lunch in the carry van and walked back over so Trace could tell me more of his family's stories. Too soon it was time for me to go, and while I had stayed too long to pay my respects at Tom's grave, and make it in time to load in for my show. I will be back, and I'll bring a stone to add to the wall, probably a Brown County geode. 
I'm Carrie Ray, walking along the winding path back to myself and stacking up songs like stones, wishing you Godspeed and hoping you'll join me next time on For a Song. If you have ideas, questions, or topics you would like to have covered on For a Song, please send them along. You can reach me via the contact page of my website, carryray.com. That's C-A-R-I-R-A-Y dot com. Thanks for listening. My name is Carol Marks, and this poem is entitled, Train. There is still a freight train every day just before dawn. I can hear the whistle, high and lonesome. Easiest in winter with no muffling leaves, but even on summer mornings that coal train fades in behind the crickets and katydids, with the rattle of the coal cars slowing for Helmsburg and then the trestle by Lake Lemon, ridges and ridges away. You can look on a map and point with your finger, say here. You can follow the highways, dirt roads and byways, say there. You can follow your job or your family, you can follow your heart.
Thanks for tuning in to episode 73, a special fun drive edition of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, this world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Carrie Ray, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.